Well, this morning we pick up again our series in the book of Joel, and we have seen a number of things as we've been exploring this book together over recent weeks. We've seen the terrible devastation that the Lord brought upon the land of Israel. Uh, He brought it by locusts. Swarms of locusts again and again had come and devastated the resources of the Israelites, the plants, and also there seems to be a mention of a fire that came. It is mentioned that there is this fire. Some sort of fire would come and has been devastating the land as well. And what have we also seen? Well, we've seen the Israelites turning to God, repenting in their suffering, rending their hearts, mourning before the Lord as they come to God in response to the devastation that God has brought upon the land of Israel. But what else have we seen? Well, we've seen the Israelites praying to God that he would defend his honour. We saw last time we looked at the book of Joel together that they came to God and said what the nations were saying in response to God's judgment upon the land of Israel. Back in verse 17, verse 17 of Joel chapter 2, we read, Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep before the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? And so that's what we looked at last time. We looked at the book of Joel together, was the way that we should come to God and ask him to defend his honour, to keep himself from being a reproach among the nations. And what is God's response? What did we see God's response was to the land of Israel? Well, we saw that he said he was jealous for his land. In verse 18, we see, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord would be jealous for his people and he would bless them immensely. We see that in verse uh, 19. It says, the Lord will reply to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. God would defend his honour. He would show it by the way that he would bless his people and provide for them again. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, unpacking what really is promised there in verse 19 and then unpacked in the following verses by the prophet Joel about how God would bless Israel, how God would bless Israel. How would God bless Israel? How would he make sure that they had enough food in the future? How would he satisfy them again? Well, one way is by driving away their enemies. One way you can bless people is by saving them from their enemies. And we see that God promises to get rid of the enemies of Israel. What are the enemies of Israel? The great enemy that they've been facing is, of course, the locusts. These little grasshoppers that have been coming, swarm after swarm, and eating everything, they are the enemy to the Israelites at this time. What does God promise to do? He promises to save Israel from the enemies. And we see that in verse 20. Verse 20, how will he save them? He says, I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land, push them into the desert, these locusts, and with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up and its smell will rise. How will God save the Israelites from their enemies, the locusts? Well, it's by driving them into the desert, driving them into the seas, getting rid of them from the land of Israel. But how else will God bless Israel? Well, he will give them abundant food. He will give them abundant food. He will get rid of the enemies who have been eating the food, and then he will cause food to grow in great abundance. And we see that in verses 22 and following. It says in verse 22, Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. 
Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. God is going to give them food by getting rid of the locusts, by bringing rains upon the land. And so that we read in verse 24, the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. How will God bless Israel? It's by getting rid of his enemies, the locusts, but also giving abundant food, giving great amount of food to the Israelites, repaying them for what the locusts have eaten. But what should Israel do in response to this? As God promises to bless Israel by getting rid of their enemies and giving them food, what should they do? Well, we read in verse 21 that they are to rejoice. Verse 21, Be not afraid, O land, be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. They are to take joy in God. And it's not just here in this verse that they're told, commanded to rejoice. It's also in verse 23. Look with me at verse 23. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The Israelites are to rejoice in the salvation that God has brought by taking away the locusts and also bringing in abundant food for them. But they're not only to rejoice, what else are they supposed to do, according to the prophet Joel? Well, they are supposed to praise the name of God. We see that in verse 26. You'll have plenty to eat until you're full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God. You're to rejoice, you're to be happy about the salvation that God has brought, you're to be happy about the abundance of food that God has brought, and you are to, uh, to praise God. Why? Well, he's worked wonders for them. We see that in verse 26. You have plenty to eat until you're full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, for he has worked wonders for you. They're to rejoice because God has done great things, as we see in verse 21, and they're to praise God, for he has worked wonders amongst them. He's gotten rid of all those enemies. I would have been imagining, will we ever get rid of these locusts? But God has driven them away into the desert. He's driven them away into the sea. And he has brought abundant food to them once again. And so here we see, once again, the purpose of God. Why does God act? Well, it's for his glory. God acts for his glory. We saw that before when we looked at last time the prophet Joel. We saw that God was going to act. He was going to save Israel. Why? So that the enemies of God, the other nations, would not mock God and, and bring reproach upon his name. But here we see he's also going to act because he wants his glory to come from his people. He wants to stop the negative praise, the, neg the negativity from the enemies of God. But he also wants his people to praise his name. And that is the great purpose of us. God acts for his glory and we are meant to act for his glory. The reason we do anything is meant to be for his glory. We see both purposes of man that are given for us here. That old catechism question is, what is the primary purpose of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question, what is the purpose of man's existence? Is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Both are given here to us in this text. That we are meant to, as God acts in our lives, we are meant to give him glory, give him praise, and enjoy him 
enjoy him and what he is doing for us. And that is what the Israelites are supposed to do. And that's what we see God's people doing again and again in the pages of Scripture. An example was read for us before from the New Testament as we see Zechariah, that priest, in response to the fact that his, his wife is pregnant with John the Baptist and then delivers this boy. He praises God and rejoices in what God has done through, uh, through his wife and through John the Baptist, what he will do, what God is doing for his people. And it's the same for us today. Why? Well, God still blesses his people for his glory. How does he do this? Well, he drives our enemies away. He drives our enemies away. He drives our physical enemies away. We have locusts in our lives, yes, all around us, but he drives them away and protects us from them. Even the fact that we're gathered here this morning in relative safety and comfort is because of God's protection. Many people around the world cannot gather as safely as we do today. And why is that? It's because God has been very kind to us and protected us physically from those who would harm us. And how else does God bless us? Well, he gives us physical prosperity. He's very kind to us in Australia. He gives us an abundance of food. Very few of us could say that we do not have plenty to eat. We may feel deprived about a number of other things in our lives, but food is not something that we can claim we're deprived of. And it is highly unlikely that any of us who live in Australia will ever die of starvation because there is no food around for us to eat. God has been very kind to us physically by taking away our enemies, protecting us from those who would hurt us, and also by providing us with much physical prosperity, and particularly when we consider the size of our fridges and the size of our pantries and the size of our supermarkets where there's plenty of food. And so what should we do in response? As God has been so kind to us physically, well, we should do what he commands Israel to do in the prophet Joel. We should rejoice and we should praise him. And this is what we're trained to do from a young age is to thank God before we eat, to thank him, to acknowledge, to give him glory for the fact that we have food on our table to eat. But it's not just God's physical protection and God's physical blessings that we should be rejoicing about and thanking him for and praising him for, we should also be acknowledging his spiritual blessing to us as well. And we'll actually see as we look further in the book of Joel in coming weeks that the book of Joel really takes a a very strong spiritual turn after the passage that we've looked at today, in particularly verse 28 and following. It says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And it goes on, and this is, of course, quoted in the New Testament as a very significant passage on the day of Pentecost. And this is helpful for us to see because what are physical blessings meant to remind us of? They're meant to remind us of the spiritual blessings of God. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Physical food is actually meant to point us to the spiritual food of God. Everything around us physically is meant to point us to spiritual realities. And that'll be even as we eat the elements at the end of this service. We're going to use bread and drink to remind us of spiritual bread and spiritual drink. They're meant to point us to the spiritual realities. 
But then we have to ask the question, has God driven away our spiritual locusts? Has he driven away our spiritual enemies? And has God given us spiritual food for which we should be thankful and rejoice in? And the answer, of course, is yes. How so? Well, by his son, Jesus Christ. By Christ's death, God drives our enemies into the sea. God drives our enemies into the sea. What are our enemies? What are our locusts today? Well, sin is the great enemy that we have. Sin, where we've broken God's laws. They bring death to us and much harm for all of eternity. But God, by his son Jesus Christ, has taken care of our enemies. How? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that great wind of God, he blows all our sins away into the sea. What sea? The sea of Christ's blood. Micah 7 verse 19 says, You will again have compassion on us, speaking to God. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Wonderful truth in Scripture that all our sin, all our enemies, our sin that cries out for our blood is driven into the depths of the sea of Christ's blood. And what other enemies does God protect us from? Does he drive away? Well, of course, the world is our great enemy. And Satan, why? Because they so often tempt us to sin against our God. And by Christ's work at the cross, he restrains the evil one. He restrains the attacks of the world and the evil one. And one day, our great enemies of the world and Satan will be destroyed altogether, will be driven out altogether by God, like locusts into a sea. When will that happen? on the great day of God's judgment. Turn with me now to Revelation 20 to read of our enemies being destroyed. Page 1,230, one of the last pages in your Bibles. Revelation 20, and we'll read from verse 7. Page 1,230, the book of Revelation, chapter 20, reading from verse 7. Where we read, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's pe people, the city he loves. Here are the enemies of God. The world have been roused to come against God's people. But what do we read in verse 9? But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There we see the final end of Satan is thrown into the sea, the sea of burning sulfur. And then we continue to read verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here we see another sea where God's enemies are placed for all of eternity. God protects his people. He protects them now. 
from their enemies, from the world, from Satan, from their own sin. But one day he will make an end of them altogether. He will throw them into that burning lake of sulphur. Satan and the world, and of course our sins are submerged in Christ's blood, never to resurface. So what should we do in response to this? To this destruction of our enemies? Well, Prophet Joel tells us to rejoice and to praise God. And not just for this, but what else did he do for the land of Israel? He removed their enemies, but he also blessed them abundantly. Physically, but we also understand that we have physical abundance and spiritual abundance. God has given us much spiritual food. What sort of spiritual food has God given us? There's many ways that we could go in this direction, but if we understand that our great enemy is sin, locusts that have come all over our souls, well, we understand also that God has given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus conquers our enemies, so he gives us his righteousness. He says that he is the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever in John 6, 51. It's this wonderful truth of Scripture that God has granted us Christ's righteousness. And so when God looks at us, he sees Christ's work, not ours, Christ's work put upon us. And then, of course, he brings actual righteousness in our lives as well by the fruit of the Spirit who Jesus sends to us. We bear fruit because of Christ's work in us. He says in John 15, verse 4, Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Because we remain in Christ, we then can bear fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit start to be displayed in our lives. Spiritual fruit, spiritual abundance, spiritual food because of the work of Christ. And so what should we do in response to this as well? Well, we should rejoice. Rejoice and praise God for the great things that he has done for us, both physically but also spiritually. Spiritually in taking care of our enemies, our spiritual enemies, and giving us spiritual food. As we see our enemies, our locusts beaten back and food given to us and to his people, as we look around and see others who have been immensely blessed, we should rejoice and praise God. But why do we need to be told that? Why do we need to be told to rejoice and praise God? For the defeat of our locusts and for the abundance of food that he gives, both spiritually and physically, don't we naturally rejoice in God and praise God, rejoice in what he has done for us and praise him? The answer is no, isn't it? Far too often we are like bad-mannered children. How do bad-mannered children behave? How do children with bad manners behave? Well, they receive protection and good gifts from their parents, but do not rejoice in what has been given to them or praise their parents. When a parent saves a child from a car on the road, they're about to cross the road, the child wants to cross the road, the parent pulls the child back and saves that child from great harm, possibly death. What does a bad-mannered child do? Well, he doesn't rejoice in being saved from death. He may even be angry because he couldn't do what he wanted to do, that his parent restrained him from doing what he wanted to do. And if the bad-mannered child does rejoice in being saved, what does he do? He doesn't thank the parent. 
He takes it for granted that he would be saved by the parent. He doesn't praise the parent or thank them for what they've done. And what does a bad man and child do? Not just when he's been saved from his enemies, saved from something that would harm him, but when he's been given good gifts from his parents. What does a bad man and child do? Well, he may not rejoice in the gift at all. He's given something, maybe for his birthday. He receives it, but he doesn't rejoice in it. In fact, he may even be a bit unhappy about it. It's not quite what he wanted. It is certainly a gift, but, and it may have the features. I mean, think of some sort of video game. It's got some it's a video game that he does appreciate in some respect, but it's not exactly what he wanted. Or you think about the food that's given for a birthday and the cake comes out and it turns out it's not the icing flavour that he likes on the cake. And so he doesn't rejoice in it, doesn't rejoice in the fact that mum has made this lovely cake for him. He's unhappy about it. But if he does rejoice in the present, what does a bad-mannered child do? He does like the present. What does a bad-mannered child do? He forgets to thank the parent. He doesn't praise the parent. He, of course, eats the cake with joy in his heart, plays the video game that he loves, but he's got no time for the parent. He's got bad manners. He doesn't appreciate the parent as he should. What's he doing? He's taking the parent for granted. He thinks that he can get the benefits of the parent, but he's not interested in the parent for who the parent is. On the other hand, what's a good-mannered child do? What's a child with good manners do? Well, what does he do when he's saved from a car on the street? Crossing the road, parent yanks him back, so he's saved from that certain death. Well, he rejoices in being saved. He realises what's happened and rejoices that he's going to live another day. And if he's got good manners, what else does he do? Well, he thanks the parent. He praises the parent, says to the parent, that was close, thanks so much. That's what a good-mannered child does. And what about when the good-mannered child receives a gift from the parent? What does he do? Well, he rejoices in that gift. Even if it's not quite to his liking, he still rejoices in the gift. He recognised that before he had nothing, and now he's actually got something. And so he rejoices in what has been given to him. And what does he do also? He doesn't just rejoice in the gift, he also rejoices in the parent and thanks the parent and praises the parent for giving him something when he had nothing previously. This is what a good-mannered child does. And why? Well, the child at the end of the day knows that the parent is the best blessing of all. That salvation from a car, gifts on a birthday, or gifts at any other time of the year, they're good, yes, and I can rejoice in those, but at the end of the day, the best thing of all is to have my parent who loves me and cares for me. Why? Well, particularly when you consider gifts, they are so temporary and so fleeting. You think about the food that you eat, that someone gives you, you enjoy it at the time, but will you even think about it tomorrow or five days' time? unless it's exceptionally good. It's very quickly forgotten. How many birthday cakes have you eaten? And you can't even remember them now. And then, of course, gifts that you're given, they so quickly wear out. They so quickly are broken. 
and they're not remembered anymore either. How many birthday gifts have you received over your lifetime? And now you couldn't be able to recall what you received at the time. But what do you remember? You remember the parent who gave you the gifts, the parent who protected you from harm. And at the end of the day, the good child, he snuggles up with the parent, not the gifts. He may put the bat and the ball over on the the wall and still look at them and see them there and be thankful at the end of the day on his birthday and with a full, satisfied stomach. But he snuggles up to the parent who gave him the bat and the ball and gave him the birthday cake and rejoices in the parent. Because at the end of the day, that is the true blessing, is to have the parent. And it's the same for us. It should be the same for us with our Heavenly Father. Do we rejoice in the physical and spiritual salvation we have from our enemies and, our lo- and the locusts that plague us? Do we rejoice in the physical and spiritual gifts that God gives us as we should? And then do we praise God, saying, thanks, that was close. I almost went to hell, but you saved me from my sin. We must admit that far often, too often, we are bad-mannered children, and we need to hear these commands from Joel, from the book of Joel. God has done great things for us. Sadly, we are not doing great things in response, the things that we should do. We're not rejoicing in the salvation that he has wrought for us. We're not rejoicing in the gifts and certainly not giving him the glory that he deserves for the salvation and for the gifts that he has given us. So what should we do? Well, we should, even though we have bad manners much of the time, we should nevertheless repent and rejoice in God's salvation and the gifts that he has given us and give him praise. Why? Because God is a very gracious and loving parent. Thankfully, he's a very gracious and loving parent. Although he's not happy with our bad manners, he still loves it when we rejoice in what he has given us, when we do rejoice. And he loves it when we turn to him and say, thank you and praise him for being such a good and loving Heavenly Father. Even if it's times when we only thank him because we're suddenly commanded in God's word to say thank you, to praise him, and we do it because he's told us to, he still loves it. Just like we do with kids. We say, come on, say thank you, Dad. And then they do, and we rejoice in that, even though we know, really, they're only saying thank you because I told them to say thank you. But we still rejoice in hearing, thank you, Daddy. And it's the same with God. He commands us to rejoice. He commands us to praise him, to say thank you. And he delights when we do so. And we should do so because he commands it, but also because that is where we find the greatest joy. The greatest joy, the true and lasting joy, is not in the things that God gives us. It's in God himself, snuggling up to God and saying thank you and praising him, rejoicing in what he has given and acknowledging his kindness to us, rejoicing in him at the end of the day. And that's what we see in verse 23 of Joel chapter 2, that it's to rejoice in God, that we're supposed to rejoice in God. We rejoice, of course, in the blessings of God, but we rejoice in him. So let us be good children, good-mannered children, who rejoice in our salvation, our salvation from our enemies, from sin, from the world, from Satan, and rejoice in the good gifts that he has given us. Rejoice in particularly in the righteousness of Christ, 
and the fruit of the Spirit that comes in our lives. And so give him glory. How should we give him glory? Well, it's by praising him in prayer, coming to him in prayer, speaking to him, thanking him and honouring his name. And of course you can do it in song. One of the great privileges we have as human beings is the ability to sing and to rejoice in song. And we have so much, a rich heritage of songs that come from Scripture itself. We look at the book of Psalms. And then, of course, songs that have been written with rich in Scripture. We can praise God with joy in our hearts by the Spirit's power. This is how we are to glorify him. But, of course, it's not just by speaking to him directly that we can praise and honour him. We can also praise and honour him by the way that we speak to others, by when we speak to other Christians about our God, say how wonderful he is in that he saved me from my sins and continues to pour out his blessings upon me. And you should say it to unbelievers as well. Great form of evangelism is to tell others about what God has done for me, to praise God that he has been so kind in saving you from your enemies and blessing you abundantly, both physically and spiritually. And we should do this all the time. Sadly, some children only praise their parents on Father's Day and Mother's Day. And maybe not even then. But we should be praising God on the Lord's Day, his, on the Heavenly Father's Day, which of course is today, isn't it? Every first Sunday of the, the week, we come on the Lord's Day to praise him, to give him honour. But we should do it every day of the week, not just on Father's Day which is weekly for us as Christians, but also on every day, because every day he has made, and we should rejoice and be glad in it and give him honour that he deserves. But if you're not one of God's children, if you're not one of God's children, you have no reason to rejoice. You have no reason to praise God, because you still have enemies in your life. What enemy? The enemy of sin the death that is to come, that is approaching all the time. And so if that is you, what are you called to do? You're called to repent. To repent, as we've heard from the book of Joel before. Turn from your sins. Turn to God. Ask for salvation from your sin. Ask that your sins be blown into the depths of the sea, like those locusts so many years ago, into the sea of Christ's blood. Ask him to take your sins away far from you, far as the east is from the west. Separate my transgressions from me, O God. That's what you need to do. And then come and rejoice in God. Rejoice in the righteousness that he gives to those who repent and trust in him. Rejoice in the fruit that he brings to your life through the fruit of the Spirit. And praise God for him and what he has done for you. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the gracious Father who has saved us who believe from our enemies, particularly sin, the world, and Satan, and given us many gifts, particularly the precious gift of Christ Jesus, our righteousness. But Lord, we come before you and ask that you would forgive us again for our bad manners, for not rejoicing in your kindness, and for not giving you glory as we should. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to rejoice in you more and to give you the glory that you deserve. And, Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is not one of your children, oh, Lord, we ask that you would grant them repentance now.
so that they rejoice in the precious gifts of God and glorify you as they should. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.